Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. You're here. I want to discuss something hugely important, like really kind of getting to the, the center of what it what it means to to be a human being, what it means to exist and live with God. You know, we say God fills the entire world, but for so many people, God is just an idea in people's heads. And so the real breakthrough step that that any person who's I think serious about life has to take is just to ask themselves, well, if there is a God, and he does fill the world, and he knows everything, and he's everywhere at all times, what does that mean to me? <laughs> Meaning to say that I am by dint of that in an extremely close relationship with him. So, so, but do I know it? And then, like, how do I begin to take steps toward blossoming that relationship which already exists? You know, I, I once heard Rabbi Mati Berger put it so beautifully, so clearly. He said like this, the closeness of a relationship is defined, determined, like how close the relationship is. It's determined by the party who is less involved in the relationship. So he explained it just really nicely. He said, if I call you every single day, and you return my call once a week, we don't have an everyday relationship. We have a once a week relationship. Do you get it? So the party who is less involved actually determines the, the nature of the relationship. So, so now let's apply that to us and God. If God is sustaining us every single moment, sustaining the universe every single moment, is there at all times, we're never alone. It's only to the extent that we pick up the phone, so to speak, <laughs> that we enter into that relationship. So if someone picks up the phone once a year on Yom Kippur, then they have a once a year relationship, right? So, or if someone, you understand what I'm saying? So, but it seems to me that what, what I would love to do is I would love to live in reality. And if there's a God who's loving me 24-7, I would love to be that partner who's loving him back 24-7, or to the best of my ability anyway. So how do you get into that place where we can engage with reality and be that partner? How do you do it? Because it's not intuitive. It's not intuitive. I'll tell you how our brains are hardwired. And by the way, God hardwired our brains like this so that we can evolve past this, okay? You know, there's a famous discussion in the Gomorrah between one of the Romans and Rabbi Akiva. And basically, they're trying to convince Rabbi Akiva not to give charity because God created these poor people. And why are you trying to mess up God's plan by feeding the hungry? If God made them hungry, God wants them hungry. And Rabbi Akiva's like, what are you talking about? The world is at a certain level right now, and God has made us partners with him to advance that level, to reveal God's oneness. So the idea is like this. God hardwires our brain in a certain way, and then we have to evolve past that. We have to get expanded consciousness. We have to understand 
that this world didn't just appear out of nowhere and that the amazing, precise orchestration of all of nature speaks to the fact that God is intensely involved in this world and intensely involved in our lives. But we have the flip side to it, and this is why it's so challenging. This is what it means to be a human being. On the other hand, we just see what we see. See, the joke is that God is invisible, and yet, once you realize that all you see is God, you can't look anywhere without seeing him. So to some people, there's like, show me God, I don't see God. And in other, to other people, there's nothing more obvious than God. But it's a process. One's mind, one's heart has to open up and, and see what's before them. So I want to talk about how we can make a breakthrough in terms of not seeing anything and then getting to that place where we feel that love and where we can be that partner. And Torah is so amazing because sometimes you see conversations like in the Talmud, we're going to go into Gemara in a moment, right on the opening page of Gemara Chagiga, and talk about a incredibly arcane, legalistic bit of Torah. And you're going to see how the sages communicate, because it's a little piece that you could just scratch your head and say, what are the rabbis talking about? Give me a break. And then when you just dig a little bit deeper, you realize oh my God, we're talking about the essence of life here. Okay? So it's like this massive aha moment. So let's just start with the legalisticnesses of it all. <laughs> That's not a word and never should be, by the way. Okay, so it's dealing with the idea of there's a commandment that certain people and there's a list of people who are obligated in this way, and we're going, that's, that's going to be our subject in a moment, are obligated three times a year. In English, we call it the pilgrimage festival. Okay, so, so it was on Pesach, on Shavuos, and on Sukkot. The Jews had to go up to the base of Migdash, to the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, and they'd bring various offerings, and they'd all celebrate together, and it was a very communal, ecstatic, wonderful way to celebrate the holidays. And you'd get your spiritual batteries recharged. These events sustained us for centuries. Okay. But not everyone is obligated to go. And one of the people in that category is someone who's blind. They, they could go, obviously, but not they weren't required to go. And the answer is because there was a special offering that we would do, among other offerings, by the way, but this particular special offering was called the Corbin Re'ia. So it's called the offering of seeing. So therefore, because it requires you to see, someone who's blind wasn't obligated in it. Okay, so now here's where the Talmud becomes the Talmud. You ready? A blind person can't go, but what about someone with one eye? And then this is where people go, okay, I'm checking out. This is no longer speaking to me. But if you stick around a little bit longer, you realize, no, no, this is just where it's getting good, right? Now we're starting to go to the depths. You know, Rebbe Nachman has a famous story. There were two very impoverished people, and they, one was Jewish, one wasn't Jewish. And they were kind of comrades in misery, comrades in poverty. And the Jew says to the non-Jew, you know, you're in love because tonight it's Pesach. 
and there's going to be big meals held all over. Like everyone is going to be having a big meal tonight. That's the Pesach Seder, obviously. He says, come with me to shul, and no one is going to be left behind. Everyone is going to be invited to a home. You're going to get to go to a home, and you're going to get a great meal. And so this non-Jewish person was like, this is fantastic, you know? And so he goes to shul, and he gets invited to, to someone's home, and he's sitting at the table, and he's hungry, and all they're doing is talking. <laughs> they're talking and they're talking. And it's like, where is the food? And then at a certain point, they bring out some bitter herbs. <laughs> and like, he's like, you, you're crazy. All of you are crazy. You know, and he gets up and he, he storms out. And the next day, he sees his friend, the Jew. And the Jew says to him, did I tell you? Did you get a feast? He goes, no, like all they served was like a radish and some bitter herbs. Like, and the Jew says to him, ah, if only you had waited a little bit longer, you know, if you had just stuck around a little bit longer, you would have seen. So, so that's Rebbe Nachman, classic piece. The redemption is coming, people. It's coming. Just got to hang in there. We don't want to be that person who just eats a little bit of the bitter herbs and then storms out of the room. That can't be us. Can't be us. So the Gomorrah now is discussing, okay, it's the Corbin of seeing. It's the offering of seeing. And blind people can't do it. But what about someone with one eye? It sounds like we're persecuting this poor, disadvantaged person. He loves God. So because some guy poked out his eye, he's got to be excluded in this way? That's not fair. We're saying that there is this incredible idea that God sees us with two eyes and that God's love for us is very embracing and that the manifestation of that idea in this world is for someone with two eyes to reciprocate the two eyes that he's being seen with. That's the clea that holds this beautiful idea as it goes from above to below. And so that's the process that's going on right here. And when you look at it in that way, hopefully it makes more sense. And now this is going to open up to an amazing philosophical point that's central to all of our lives. They say, well, you know what's interesting about this word to see? That it's written one way. But when we read it, we have a tradition to vowelize it and pronounce it a different way. And this is one of the many techniques that, that we've talked about over the years, that, the, that Hashem compressed the infinite into the finite, right? Because everything is contained in the Torah. And yet if you look at the Torah, especially in book form, it's a very short book. How can everything be contained in the Torah? Because there are all these holy techniques of how to unpack hidden meanings in the Torah itself that the sages have given us. So the offering of seeing, you ready for this? Is actually read the offering of being seen. That's very significant because all of a sudden we've switched points of view. We've gone from the idea that this is us as the kind of the star of the event, the participant, we're the ones doing the seeing. And what are we seeing, by the way? We're seeing the divine presence, right? We're experiencing just this 
revelation of this divine energy, and we just know in our hearts that God is right here. That's what we have to see to experience. But it's read the offering of being seen, because you're being seen by God. And when it uses the idea of God looking at us, it's in the plural. Now remember, God doesn't have any physicality whatsoever. God, God doesn't have a body. God makes bodies, right? That's how I used to say it to my children. And yet the Torah uses language of body parts just so that we can wrap our minds around certain things. That's God allowing us to understand him in ways that we can understand. So when it says God is looking at us, it's in the plural, meaning to say that God is looking at us with two eyes, which is a greater sign of closeness and love. He's not looking at us with one eye. God is looking at us with two eyes. And so since we have to see that we are being seen, and the one who is seeing us is looking at us with two eyes, we need two eyes so that we can fully see that we are being seen. And so that's the conclusion of the Gemara. So again, now we're going to get into the philosophy of what we're talking about. But I think already you're beginning to sense that it's talking about the fact that God surrounds all of us all of the time. And do we see that we are being seen? And what does that mean exactly? You know, I think it's interesting. Over, over the course of Black Lives uh, Matter, this phrase really entered into the popular vernacular, the idea that I don't feel seen or I'm not being seen. And I think it's fascinating that something that's so topical and current right now actually appears in the pages of the Gomorrah from 2,000 years ago. This exact language and this exact experiential thing. So the question is, do you feel seen by God? And it's an enormous question, and let's start to go into it. Because in order to see God, according to the Gomorrah, you have to see him with two eyes. Now, let's talk about this for a moment, what it means, two eyes. We have this concept, but it's all over the Talmud, by the way, that if someone looks at you with jealousy or with malice, perhaps, what phrase is used? The person is giving the other person a bad eye. Isn't that interesting? That's in the singular. A bad eye. Not bad eyes. He's giving me bad eyes. That's not how it's written. It's a bad eye. One eye, not two eyes. So, so what does that mean? By the way, let me just explain to you. I, I heard a beautiful, very concise explanation of what a bad eye is, since a lot of people are sort of um, curious about this. What No one has power other than God. God is the only power in the world. So no one can do anything to you. Do you understand? O only God, because God runs the whole world. So you don't have to be afraid. However, we do have this concept of a bad eye. So how does it work then? If the person can't do anything to you, and only God is doing it, then how can one person give another person a bad eye? What are the mechanics of it, if you will? So listen to this. Very interesting. You see, when you're in a healthy relationship, you know, my dad was a psychologist, Oliver Shalom, and he used to say, in a good relationship, no one counts. 
In other words, well, you know what? You were at my house last time. It's time for me to be at your house this time because that's the way it works. We go back and forth. Like that's not the sign of a great relationship, right? Because you're counting. So in other words, when there's a closeness, you know, it's like, okay, you know, we'll get it the next time. No, but, but you took me out for dinner last time. All right, so look, you'll get it next time. It doesn't matter, whatever. That's the sign of a healthy relationship. Okay, so, so God has that type of relationship where on the one hand, God is counting. He's keeping track of everything we do. But at the same time, he cuts us slack. It's like God, you know, says, okay, you'll make it up. You know, I'm giving you some wiggle room here and everything like that. All right, now listen carefully. When someone gives someone else a bad eye, though, what they do is they force a heavenly audit on your books. And now, all of a sudden, they go, okay, do you deserve everything that you have? It's like you get ratted out to the IRS. <laughs> do you understand? And now they're like, okay, let's open the books. Let's see what you got. So that is what an eye, a bad eye does. How, what's the antidote? Okay, so they're different ideas, but let me just get to the root of it. I'm not talking sugulas right now. Um, I'm just talking about the, the root of our behavior. The idea is that if a person has a lot, they should just be very charitable. And when other people see that this person who has a lot is being very charitable, then they go, oh, he's on our side. They don't see you as the enemy. I don't have, that person does have, so mm, I don't like that person. But if they say, oh, that person's sponsoring this and he's giving to that and everything like that, then they go, hey, that person is one of us. That, that's one of the good guys. And, and so you sort of neutralize. Not only do you neutralize, but the opposite. You bring together people through your goodwill. And, and by the way, that's also a, an argument, not always to give anonymously. Sometimes that's the highest, but not always. A lot of people don't know that. Because sometimes when you give publicly, and the Talmud discusses this, what happens is that you inspire other people to give publicly as well. By the way, the example that they use is like a very high stakes example. Imagine you just kind of struck it rich in crypto or something like that. And you walk by a building and it's like the, the So Family Sanctuary or building, whatever it is. They have their name on the building. You go... I want my name on a building. And that's the example they use. That's not my example. So, so that's an example how, you know, I heard Reb Shlomo say something so deep, and we'll get back to the idea of a good eye and a bad eye in a moment and how it relates to seeing God and being seen by God and this whole kind of revolution in consciousness that I'm talking about right now. But Reb Shlomo says, this is one of the reasons why you need a Rebbe, to tell you when to serve God openly and when to serve God secretly. Did you hear that? I'm going to say that again. One of the reasons why you need a Rebbe is for them to tell you when to serve God secretly and when to serve God publicly. Okay? And you might go, but I want to keep it hidden. And your Rav or your Rebbe might say, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, but this is one of those moments where it should be public. Okay, so there's a time for both in Torah. There's a time for both. Okay, so now remember, the idea is you have to see that you are being seen. And 
you have to have two eyes because God is looking at us with two eyes. And if you only look at God with one eye, that's a little bit of a bad eye. Okay, so let's discuss this idea. You see, it, it works in terms of our actual physicality. Cover one eye. I'm covering one eye right now. If you cover one eye, do you know what that affects on your other eye? Something called, you ready for this? Because it's so metaphoric, depth perception. When you only look with one eye, you lose depth perception. And you know what? Nothing's deeper than God. And if you're looking at God, you better have depth perception. Because otherwise, you're going to be in la-la land. You're not going to know what is going on with your life or what is going on with this world. As Reb Shlomo put it so masterfully one time, in today's day and age, you ready for this? It's a criminal offense to be superficial. I'm going to say it again. Unbelievable, powerful statement. In this day and age, it's a criminal offense to be superficial. And when you're looking at God with one eye and you're losing depth perception, that means that you're being superficial. The, the more gratitude that we have, the more, the more divine flow we bring down. And there's a very beautiful example of this that Reb Labla Eager gives, which is of a baby nursing. That the more a baby suckles, the more milk comes the baby's way. And so gratitude itself is, is that form of, 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 of receiving. And if the more we receive with gratitude the more we bring down because the, the more connected our relationship with God becomes. You know, there's, there's a story about a husband and wife who are not getting along. The husband feels very aggrieved in this particular story, and the wife is yelling at him all the time, okay? So he goes to this big rabbi, I forgot who, and the rabbi says, do you know when she's yelling at you, she's cleansing your soul? And you really should be grateful. And so when he heard that, he was like, wow, yeah, that, yes, that is what's going on right now. And so when she continued to yell at him, he no longer reacted. And then she stopped yelling at him. And then he went to the rabbi and said, how come she's not yelling at me anymore? <laughs> like, he felt bad. But, but the, the idea is that, that when you really advance in terms of your relationship with God through gratitude, you begin to see God's goodness in everything, even in hardship. All right, now, now we're, this is very important right now. Let me give you an example. There's a game that children play. You, you probably played it when you were younger called Shoots and Ladders. Okay, this is like one of these old-time classic board games that never goes out of style. So, so what is shoots and ladders? You roll the dice, and there's this windy, windy, windy line that goes from the bottom of the board to the top of the board, and then you want to get to the top of the board. I mean, the game itself could not be simpler. But there's this wonderful little twist in it that makes it shoots and ladders, okay? Which is that as you go through this windy path, ever climbing higher, Certain spaces that you land on have a chute, which means you fall down many spaces. <laughs> and other spaces that you land on have a ladder, 
and you advance many spaces. Okay? So, there is in life a secret. I think it's a secret, okay? Which is, where's the ladder? I want to get on that ladder. Take me to the ladder so that I can just, like, jump, right? Do you know what the ladder is? Carving in your heart. This is an expression that Reb Shlomo would use. He would say, when he would say certain fundamental teachings, he would say, I want you to carve this in your heart, okay? How do we get that ladder? How do we get to skip steps? Because there's no skipping steps in spiritual development, okay? And yet, I'm telling you right now, a secret, how you can skip steps, right? What is this latter moment in our lives? It's understanding, and not just understanding, carving in your heart the goodness of God, that God is good. This is the secret. This is the secret. Because if you understand that God is good, then whatever comes your way, if it's good, you go, Thank you, God. Ah, a new job, cash, health, children, whatever it is, wife, husband, what, what, whatever you're, whatever you want. You, you get that, you get the good thing, you, you experience it as even more good. And then when the challenging thing comes, you say, God, you're cleansing my soul. Thank you, God, you're cleansing my soul. And so you see the goodness in God no matter whether it's positive or whether it's negative, whatever God is doing, you understand that it's for your benefit. And this is the definition of seeing God with two eyes. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Okay, so now let's, again, go deeper into this idea. I want to tell you what happens with almost everybody. And we have to be so on the lookout, on the lookout, to make sure that this doesn't happen to us. People start off like this. God, all that exists is you. You can do anything. Nothing is difficult for you. God, I have this, I have this need and, and I'm coming to you because you're the only one who answers prayers and you can do anything. And then some time passes. God, are you listening to me? God, can you hear me? God, why do you hate me? This is a case study in looking at God with one eye, or going from looking at God with two eyes to looking at God with one eye. You see, and this is why, it, it, this is something that I believe happens with almost all of us. But if we're conscious of it, we can avoid it. What happens is that we have a specific need, and then in time, all we do is see the world through that need. We just experience life through that particular need. And you can call it tunnel vision, if you like. And what that is, seeing God with one eye instead of two eyes. Because the reality is that, and, and I'm not saying, by the way, just let me be very clear right now. I'm not saying we don't have needs. A lot of us have desperate needs. And they're very real. And it's very hard for them not to take over our entire consciousness. It's a heroic struggle to prevent them from taking over our entire consciousness. So I'm very sympathetic to this process. I just want you to know that, right? And God should bless us that all of our needs, whoever has needs, right? That God should answer them for the good, but right away, including the ghoulish lame the greatest. But the idea is that amidst 
the hardship, there's also constant beauty. And this is another inescapable aspect of our lives, of this world. The world is broken, and yet amidst that brokenness is beauty that doesn't go away. And so, so to stay cognizant of the fact that I'm in need, but at the same time I have so much, that's seeing God with two eyes, okay? But I want to go deeper because I'm just talking about our side of the equation. That's not what the Gomorrah is talking about. The Gomorrah is going much further. It's saying we need two eyes. Why? So that we should see that we are being seen. Okay, so now let's talk about what it means to be seen. It means that you're in an active relationship with God. One of my favorite teachings, a teaching that changed my life. It's a classic question. Avraham Avinu has just had his circumcision. In fact, he gave it to himself, if you can imagine, at the age of 99, and God is visiting him. This is where we get um, the idea that we're supposed to imitate God. That's what the rabbis teach. Because God visits the sick, he feeds the hungry, he clothes the naked. We're supposed to imitate God's ways. And where we see that teaching in the Torah is that God visits Abraham during this very painful period of recovery. Okay, so that's God visiting the sick. And Abraham jumps up in the middle of this conversation that, that he's having with God to take care of these guests. And so the rabbis ask, how can Abraham interrupt God? Like, what a chutzpah, right? Like, like you're, you get another call. Hold, hold on, God, let me just take care of this. <laughs> it's the bank, it'll be quick. Just hang on one sec. Like, who is Abraham to run to these people while God is doing this amazing thing for him? And here's the answer. And this is what I'm talking about being in a relationship. I heard Rabbi Grumman say that God forbid you should think that Avraham was interrupting God. Avraham was deepening the conversation with God by revealing this kindness to strangers. There was no interruption. It was an ongoing conversation. And so let's apply this to our lives because this is the essence and the core of our lives. Everything that we do, wherever we go, whoever we talk to, whatever job we're on, it's part of an ongoing conversation that we're having with God and that God is having with us. And every good thing that we do is deepening that conversation that we're having with God with our very lives. Okay, so what does it mean to feel as though you're being seen. So, so there's a teaching from Reb Shlomo explaining a Rashi that, you know, is just like one of these cash Torahs, as they say. You know, a cash Torah is a, it's a teaching you have to have in your pocket at all times, right? So this is one of those. And it says that, remember, the generation of the flood was like completely morally bankrupt, like just horrible. Except for Noah, God himself calls it tzaddik. Like multiple times, God calls Noah, Noah, a tzaddik. So Noah was like, he was great. He was spiritually mighty. And when the time came for the flood to it says he hesitated before he went into the ark. And so the rabbis explain that there was a part of Noah that didn't believe that God was actually going to bring the flood. And so Rashi writes that Noah was of little faith. That's what Rashi says. So listen to how Reb Shlomo explains the Rashi. 
Reb Shlomo says that Noah believed in God, but he didn't believe that God believed in him. Do you hear that? Noah believed in God, but he didn't believe that God believed in him. Let me put it to you in our conversation for today. You can see God and you can believe in God, but if you don't also understand that you're being seen, then whatever amuna you have, whatever faith that you have, it's not complete. It's not complete. So, so how do you feel seen? And, and by the way, it's very important, if, just that you know, when I talk about being seen, I'm not talking about a prison guard looking at an inmate. <laughs> it's very important that you understand that. I'm not talking about a principal, like, you know, watching a student, right, who's trying to sneak a cigarette, you know, in the bathroom. That's not what I'm talking about. The seeing that God does for us is with two eyes, so to speak. It means it's a watching, it's a watching out of love. It's that idea that the phone is constantly ringing, right? God is in that love relationship. The question is, are we entering into it? Do we know it? Okay, so, so one of the ways, and now here's a tool, right? I want to give you something very practical. This is not just theory like, oh, do I see that I'm being seen? It sounds very ad- Okay, so let's talk in terms of practicality. The greatest way, I think, there, there are many tools, but let's just start with one, is gratitude, okay? So, so gratitude is like a trampoline. Like, you know when you jump on a trampoline, the more you jump, jump on a trampoline, the higher you go. And gratitude is the same way. The more you start thanking God for things, the more you see that there's more to thank God for. It's an amazing process. When you start thanking God, when you find things to thank God for, you realize, oh, and then there's also like, I have my teeth. I still have my teeth. I can chew things. Thank God. Do you know how much delicious food you can eat if you don't have teeth? I can't swallow that steak. I mean, there there are endless things to thank God for. And we're not really aware of them until we start finding things to thank God for things. And then it's like that trampoline. The more you jump on it, the higher you go. So, so then when you realize, wait, I, I thought I was alone. Now I realize God is doing things for me 24-7. Now I feel seen. Now I feel seen. It occurred to me not so long ago, and I'm trying to fix this into my daily consciousness, although I'm still in the process of it, because it's a little far out, but I believe it with all my heart which is that as much as you can point to what God is doing for you right now, God is doing probably a hundred times more than that, and you're never, ever going to know about it. Which means as much as there is to thank God for that I know about, there's so much more that I'll never know about that I have to thank God for. So I'm trying to fix into my prayers and talking to God, thank you for all these things, and thank you, even more for all the things that you're doing that I don't even know about. To say those words to God on a regular basis. And when you do, over time, I think that you're going to feel seen. You're going to feel seen. And it's not a switch, because I, I asked myself, well, do I feel seen? And then I was like, well, sometimes. <laughs> I said, wow. Okay, so I see this is a process. 
This is not one of these things that you just decide today that you're going to feel seen. This is really, you have to kind of rewire your brain in this way. But if you do, you are going to be living in reality. I want to live in reality. This is reality. But again, God purposely hardwires our brain in a way where we have to arrive at this. Because God wants us to grow. God created the entire world so that we can grow. And certainly our consciousness is our most precious tool. If we can evolve our consciousness, then we're doing the greatest work. Okay, now I want to go deeper. Okay, I want to read you something from this sitter. And this is in a part of the prayer book that I'll call the extra credit part of the prayer book. <laughs> this is the part that most people not only skip over, but they've never seen the prayers here before. Okay, it's in the early part of the prayer book before the morning prayers. And there are some absolute like revelations on these pages, like amazing words. Now, this prayer in the, I'll tell you, it's in the art scroll, uh, Nusach Sfard, okay, not Ashkenaz, Nusach Sfard, page 29. Okay, so in Hebrew, it's called Leolam Yehei Adam. Okay, that's how it's referred to. But I'll read you just the beginning part in the English. Always let a person be God-fearing privately and publicly, acknowledge the truth, speak the truth within their heart, and arise early and proclaim, Master of all the world, of, of all the worlds and Lord of all lords. In Hebrew, it's better. Not in the merit of our righteousness do we cast our supplications before you, but in the merit of your abundant mercy. And then it goes on and on. And I recommend that you read it and say it and treasure it. But I want to get to a, a part a little bit later because this prayer takes a very striking transition, a very curious, challenging, okay? And I want to get into this right now, okay? We're continuing our discussion about being seen and that God is looking at us with love. But let's look at these words. It says, But we are your people, members of your covenant, children of Abraham, your beloved, to whom you took an oath at Mount Moriah, the offspring of Isaac, his only son, who is bound atop the altar, the community of Jacob, your firstborn son, whom because of the love with which you adored him and the joy with which you delighted in him, you name Yisrael and Yeshurun. And then it says, Lefikach, therefore. Okay, so that's interesting. Therefore, what? All right, this is our subject right now. So let me summarize all that. God says, I love you a lot. Therefore, okay, so in other words, all that is coming for the therefore. <laughs> What's coming up after the therefore? Therefore, since God loves us a lot, we are a chayev. You know what chayev means? Chayev means obligated, by law obligated. Therefore, because God loves us a lot, we are chayev, obligated, to thank you, praise you, glorify you, bless, sanctifies, sanctify and offer praise and thanks to your name. Okay, so because God loves us, we are obligated to thank him. Now let's, for a moment, put this in human terms, okay? Which, which is not what the prayer book is talking about, okay? But I just want you to understand the difficulty because once we work through the difficulty, we're going to arrive at something very beautiful, okay? Can you imagine a man loves a woman and, you know, 
they're not married. They're not even dating. But the man loves the woman, and he gives her flowers and sends her jewelry, takes her out for dinner, and then he says, therefore, you are obligated to praise me, <laughs> to glorify me. You'd be like, whoa, take a step back, brother. You know, you know, I'm very glad that you have feelings for me, but that's your business. You know, like I'm not obligated in any way because of that. Okay. It's just, that's not cool. That That's interpersonal. All right. Well, now I'm going to give you another example. Okay. Let's change it up a little bit. Now imagine a man loves a woman. And in this instance, different case now, in this instance, they're married and the woman loves the man back, okay? And he gives her, like he showers her with all sorts of beautiful things. And imagine she doesn't say thank you, right? It's a little weird, like it's a little weird. It's derech heretz, it's common courtesy. <laughs> you know, someone does something nice that you're in a relationship, that you engage in that way. Someone did something really thoughtful for you, then you acknowledge that, okay? So what's going on here? God is not on some crazed power trip. I love you, therefore you must praise me. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is something just so much more beautiful. God, who's the master of reality, who's telling the story of this world, and who's telling the story of our lives, God is telling us, this is a love story. This whole thing, your life, this world, history, this is a love story between us. And you know how I know? Because I'm the one who's writing it. And in a love story, if one party loves the other party's got to love the lover. They have to love each other. That's the love story. If we're being loved 24-7, don't you want to be the partner in that relationship who loves back, don't you want to be the partner who's engaged at the highest, best, fullest level in that relationship, which is total and complete? Don't you want to be there for your partner? I do. I do. You know, there's an interesting teaching in the Gomorrah. It says that those people who don't mourn for Jerusalem in its destruction, and by the way, until the Beis HaMikdash, until the Holy Temple is rebuilt, Jerusalem is still philosophically considered destroyed, okay? As much as it's been rebuilt. Nonetheless, until it has the Holy Temple in it, it's still not in its state of being built. So the Gomorrah says that unless you mourn the absence of the Holy Temple, only those who do that will be able to celebrate when it gets rebuilt. Interesting. Interesting. So why is that? Why do you have to mourn it in order to be able to celebrate it when that happy occasion happens? And so I thought of an example, and it, it, it's based on the structure of your basic rom-com, your romantic comedy movie, okay? They all have the same structure, which is boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl at the end. And you know, along the way, there are these humorous characters. So imagine you're in the movie theater and you're watching it, and one of the leads, right, goes into a grocery store and there's a really funny grocery store worker. And you're like rolling, but it's like a side character. <laughs> the whole movie 
you're just thinking, ah, I can't wait till that grocery store worker comes back. That's going to be so good. I'm going to laugh so hard when I see him again. And meanwhile, at the end of the movie, the man and the woman get back together again, right? And you're just thinking, ah, what happened to the grocery store worker? So what's the problem? The problem is you weren't tracking the story. That, that's the problem. The story was this love affair. That was the story. And so what the Gomorrah is telling us is that the building and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, this is the story. And if you're mourning it during the sad parts, when they finally get back together again, when the Rosh finally gets built, you're going to be like, out of your kalim, you're going to be so happy. Because you've been tracking the story, the real story of the history of the world. It's a love story. So that's the thing. That's the breakthrough in consciousness. And it's going on with each of us, you know why? Because every single one of us is a holy temple. Every one of us is a mishkan. And when we start keeping the mitzvahs, when we start keeping Shabbos, when we start attaching ourselves to God, when we start connecting on this deeper level, you know what's happening? We're rebuilding ourselves. And you know who the one who's building us is God. It's the most direct, fullest experience. But you know something, unless you know that it's coming from a place of love, you're never going to get to that place. And it can't be from neurosis or paranoia. Let me tell you another story, okay? So I heard this from, I love it so much. He said, going back to Abraham, that Abraham, the way that he would expand people's consciousness about the oneness of God is, he would invite guests into his tent, then he would give them this great meal, and at the end of the meal, you ready for this? He would give them a bill. And you're like, okay, here's the check. And the people would be like, what? And then Abraham would say, or you can just thank God. And they'd be like, I can thank God? And he'd say, yeah. And then they'd say, thank you, God. And then he'd take the check, rip it up. And then people started thinking, oh, this all kind of comes from God. Everything comes from God. And God loves me and God is good. Very interesting, like, psychological technique, you know, to open up someone's consciousness. Like, when you think you're in debt, and then all of a sudden you realize you're not in debt, and you're, it's great, it's great. Okay, so here's the story. An old man comes in, like in his 80s, right? And Avraham gives him the big meal, and then Avraham at the end gives him the check. And then Avraham says, or you can thank God. And he goes, oh, okay, great. L let me thank God. And he reaches into his, his garb and takes out a wooden idol and says to the wooden idol, thank you. And which this is exactly what Abraham was <laughs> trying to uproot idol worship. Abraham like yells. The guy falls backwards, hits his head and dies. And God says to Abraham, I fed this person for 80 years. You give him one meal and you kill him? The lesson is that God is sustaining us even when we're not aware of him. You know, so many people think, if I don't believe in God, God doesn't exist. Now that I believe in God, now there's a God. But there was a God sustaining you when you didn't believe that God existed. Before you were doing all the wonderful things that you're doing right now, God was sustaining you and loving you. So if at your worst, God was sustaining you and loving you, if he sees that you're trying to refine yourself and evolve and attach yourself more, even if there are down moments, 
even if you're not perfect, right? Even if not, you're not getting it right all the time, of course he's still loving you and of course he's still supporting you. Because when he's looking at you, he's looking at you from a place of love. So, so that's really important. That's really important. God is so patient with us. He just wants to see that we're trying to move in the right direction. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. And then, like they say, the word halacha, which means the way, really. Unfortunately, it's translated as law, but it really, halacha means really the way. It's a flow. It's a flow. There's a divine flow going on. And the halacha, the mitzvahs, puts us in harmony with the divine flow. That's what's going on. But the word halacha comes from the word holech, which means to and not to run. Right? We take one step, we take another step, we take another step. Okay, so God should bless us all that, that we should not just see God, but that we should be in that active relationship where we know that we're being seen and that all of life is an ongoing conversation with him. And that because God is infinite, there is no end to how deep we can go in terms of the relationship. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.